This Can Do Podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do, can do. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Can Do Horse Racing Podcast, the podcast about all things horse racing, some history, some handicapping, and some humor. I was introduced to Dr. Barry Grant through a mutual friend of ours, Hot Horse Willie, of whom you will hear later in the podcast. Dr. Grant is a renowned equine veterinarian consultant who, as you will hear, was part of a team that invented a groundbreaking corrective surgery for horses dealing with an extremely difficult condition called Wobbler Syndrome. He also works as the state veterinarian at Del Mar during racing there. I learned quite a bit from my sit-down with Dr. Grant, particularly the scale of the -the behind-the-scenes research that goes on to better assess and understand our equine athletes. In this difficult time in which we are hearing about the tragedy of horses losing their lives and what connections, if any, there are to attract surface or other factors, it's important to keep in mind that every day there are a lot of efforts to address those types of issues that are veiled away from the average racing enthusiast, and even more so from the average individual. Perhaps you can use some of that information when, as has happened to many of us over these last few weeks, we are asked by a non-racing person about the recent headlines regarding horse racing. Too often the industry ends up being portrayed as uncaring when, in fact, there are many, many more caring individuals involved in our sport than their opposite. Can we do more to root out those opposites? Of course we can. But let's keep in mind those like Dr. Grant or Dr. Dana Stead at Santa Anita that day in and day out are endeavoring to provide the best care possible for these wonderful athletes. Dr. Grant was kind enough to invite me into his house. Our discussion, as you will hear, took place over his dining room table and a cup of coffee. So if the interview has a little bit of a coffee clatch vibe, that's why. You'll also hear in this interview why this is a new home into which Dr. Grant and his wife recently moved. It took me aback, frankly, and serves as a good reminder of how precious and precarious our lives can be. So enough talk. Let's go to Dr. Grant's kitchen. So, Dr. Grant, when did you first become interested in focusing on equine health as a veterinarian? Well, uh, probably when I was in high school. I lived on a small ranch, and my dad raised cattle and uh, horses as a pastime. He was actually a land appraiser, so I lived on on the ranch we were showing horses and my mentor veterinarian i could always find him because he's down playing pool and <laughs> okay. beer. Uh, not that that's what i want to do for a profession but yeah my, my, grand, my grandfather yeah. was a uh, the largest horse trader in western canada uh, the grants were actually horse thieves over in scotland so it's well we all we, we were all horse thieves at one point yeah right exactly yeah. that's why we were alive right yeah. Yeah, so I, I pretty much, I knew in high school that's what I okay. wanted to do. Yeah. Okay, and what was your, your path then to, you know, where you are today? Well, I went to high school in Penticton, British Columbia. You know, I'm Canadian, and the closest veterinary school was at Washington State University, but it, it was uh, only 300 miles away versus Guelph, Ontario, which is 3,000 miles sure, away. Yeah, so it yeah. didn't take any genius <laughs> to figure out where a better drive would be yeah. going down to be a, kind of a cougar. And I went down there, and that was at a time when they were still taking Canadians. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you if your grades are good enough and whatnot, you got in after two years. And I was fortunate to be like that. And I was one of the last 
six Canadians that was ever taken. And after I got out of veterinary school, you know, you, you know, I have a, had a good mentor in Dr. Gordy Kewen, who's well known up in the Northwest, operate on a horse like Grey Papa and yeah. set a world record in seven and change, you know, a couple of times. That was after knee surgery and ankle surgery, too. Oh, my gosh. So he was a mentor. He was a, a Canadian, too. But he encouraged me to take, get an internship. So I applied for internships at uh, New Bolton Center, which is the big thing, and also Davis. And I got accepted to uh, Davis with mm-hmm. Dr. Wheat. And so I spent a couple of years there, and then I came back. They'd offered me a position at WSU to come back up there and work. At that time, you could get your master's and um, still be on the faculty. That's okay. not the case any, anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was there for three years and uh, got my master's working on how uh, bone chips heal on horses' knees and okay. whether... whether he, if you gave them radiation therapy, it would help mm. that or not. Because it was a very common thing to give radiation therapy to the a joint after you did surgery on it in those okay. days. It was like faddish. It hadn't been proved one way or the other. Uh-huh. So it seemed okay. like a good thing yeah. to do. And actually, my data showed that it didn't do any good. It was probably yeah. more technique of the surgeon than if you had a bad result or not. And then um, after I got done with that, I had a lot of committees that I was on. And I wasn't getting very far. So I... I Packed it up for a couple of years and went to the standard practice down in California and did the standard circuit for two years. And then they called back and they wanted somebody to be the head of the equine division. Mm-hmm. But uh, WSU, Dr. Leo Buse did, and Jack Alexander were the uh, dean and department chairman, and they encouraged me to come back up. So I went back up there in 1974, and the uh, object was to try to put some science into horse medicine. Um, because back in those days, the only thing that had really been proven was that, it, you know, you get a response for tetanus toxoid and uh, influenza vaccine and worrying. But other than that, a lot of stuff was just hearsay and everything. Oh, there my. wasn't very okay. much data on anything, yeah. actually. And uh, we took the approach of uh, trying to work on techniques that uh, they use in humans, okay. human surgeries, ah. and see if we could adapt them to the horse. And mm-hmm. one of them was actually arthroscopy. And so we were the first ones to do arthroscopy. Dr. Frank Nichols. Oh, uh, really? I've uh, got Frank to do that. Okay. Or Nick is his nickname. Yeah. He's back at Michigan State. So we were the first ones to do that. And we also worked on a few other items like that and mm-hmm. started to get in. And then we realized even more that we probably need to ha- get a, have a training track so we could learn more about blood gases and training oh, horses okay. and everything. Because in those days, there wasn't a treadmill that would go fast enough to right. really tax a horse. The All Swedes right. were just coming out with that. So we used to gallop. I'd gallop the horses, you know, okay. really quite fast. I was a little lighter in those days. You're like but Larry Jones, out. right? You're yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could end up uh, uh, getting blood out of the carotid arteries so we could see how acidotic horses got before and after. Okay. And whether or not the roaring surgery really helped get them more oxygen. Wow. And Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I did all that. I just dropped the syringes off as I went around one more time. <laughs> Oh, wow. Wow. On, so while you're sitting on the horse, you're doing yeah, the blood. Yeah, right. And, oh, yeah. my gosh. Wow. And, and wow. We had a really nice uh, research track. The Hitchcocks uh, uh, funded that track, as long, along with the Longacres owners, they all had us. Oh, they all, right. Yeah, right. and they gave family, the yeah. money that the uh, Seattle Slew, uh, Mickey and Karen, had given. Right. When Seattle Slew came out there, yeah. the 40000 that Which was a huge day there. It yeah. was a huge yeah. day. Yeah. And uh, so we used that money to build the track at okay. the WSU. So it was the first one that had all the graduated turns on it. Oh, no kidding. Oh, wow. And wow. which re- we showed with a project we got going with Oak Tree mm-hmm. uh, that uh, my ex-partner Joe Cannon and uh, we worked on showing that the Swedish way they designed the track was like a 
curves on a road. Yeah. So it's a transitional curve and right. bank and kind yep. of come in and out of it. Was it put less stress on a horse's legs okay. than the mile track at Santa Anita did. And we were able to oh, test that out with, okay. with yeah. force plate shoes, electrochromiometry, mm-hmm. and cinematography. That was the first time oh, wow. we did that. So you would film the horse and film them. We had and... the things on their legs, and we could okay. tell, you know, what the stride length was and oh, how much pressure wow. they're putting on the inside and outside oh, of their my legs. Gosh. Everything. Wow! Yeah, which is it takes a long time sometimes for these things to come around. But one of the things that's cut down a lot of the um, injuries at Del Mar is that uh, Dennis Moore got them to do that on the turns at uh, Del Mar here about three years ago. Oh, wow. And yeah, we, yeah. if you okay. ever go down, you'll see that they have much more of a bank and yep. they have a yeah. transitional curve going in there. And it really cut down the fatalities. Wow. So that was all research, but it just sometimes takes a long time for, yeah, for people to yeah. catch on to it. Because they had a season there. Oh, they'd had a number of seasons. Yeah, so where they, they were. Get, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the papers always kept up the death count, but now like last year was three. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's... And one of them was a heart. You know, I mean... There's... But nothing you can do about that. Yeah, right, exactly. right. Yeah, it's pretty well, that hard. that was... Uh... Bobby Abu Dhabi, right? Was that or did that, that was happen? in the morning? Okay, that was a, yeah, okay, that was yeah, yeah. yeah, that was in the morning. There's okay. only one in the afternoon, okay. so I can recall. Yeah, wow. Yeah, what's it like to? I mean, for those of us who have no medical experience at all, other than being you know poked and prodded, yeah, yeah. you know, what's it like to operate on a or to diagnose even a 1200 pound animal who can't talk, you know, and tell you what's bothering him? Well, I suppose it might be a little bit like trying to uh, make a diagnosis on somebody who's a mute. Too, yeah. but they can still tell you things, and they don't lie very much. Well, that's a good point. You know, right? they yeah, you yeah. get the straight stuff. And yeah. if you're uh, if you're observant and everything, they can actually say a lot. The worst part I found, or the most difficult, is that horses have such a toleration for discomfort that they often oh, wow. you, they okay. often just sort of stand around, and you don't think they're as bad off as they really are. Yeah. So you tend to. You know, oh, you think, yeah, 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 you don't think they're as bad, but really, when you get in there and see that the guts have been twisted really badly, it's like well, why people yeah. were calling them a wimp. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't a wimp at all. Yeah. So that's one of the, the difficult things that I have is always trying to tell myself that give the horse the credit, benefit yeah. of the doubt that in fact they probably have more things and it hurts more than you think it does. Oh man, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But careful observer, and if you see the really good horsemen. You know, there's a lot of different things can be done with computers and lab tests and all this and that. Yeah. But the really the computer that's behind the really good trainer's eyes is pretty amazing because they walk down a shed row and they can tell that horse is a lot happier or not or the way he always stands with his left front leg out. Yeah. That changed, you know, and something's going to happen that way or now he doesn't want to go to the racetrack or a few things like that. You know, mom just flagging the state a lot more coming down. Yeah, if yeah. you're really watching them, yeah. you see that the change, they don't change. But when they feel good, of course, you can tell that they're they're, yeah. they're doing better in the shed roll, and that's what a lot of people trainers say. So I, you know, just came out the race really well and bucking yeah. and kicking, and yeah. so put them back in. Like Peter Miller just said that conquest tsunami right won that, won that stake and they just running back the week but he said he's he, he feeling really good third time this month right yeah yeah you were when you read a story like stymie and whatnot mm. how many starts I those know. guys horses had it's just amazing you know I, I actually one of the things i was thinking about asking you is you know it's it's interesting you go from now where we are in the breed where secretariat for instance ran 11 times as a two-year-old Justifying in his entire career, right, six times, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Have the horses changed, or has the train have the trainers changed? Uh, it's probably 
little, little of each or yeah. a lot of each, though. Yeah. I, I think trainers are a lot sharper now uh, when they know that horses aren't quite right. Yeah. And they're more likely to do bone scans on them and see that they have a bit of a problem and mm-hmm. back off on them rather than trying to run them through and just say that they're just being a jerk or okay. we'll put a run-out bid on them or whatnot rather than take care of their ankle. So I think a lot more people, you know, people like Bob Baffert and whatnot, they do a lot of bone scans on horses and trying to figure out early on what's wrong and then don't push the horse, let them work okay. through it, you know. Okay. So I think they're trying to trying to protect them uh, a lot more. And a lot of it depends, you know, with the monies that are involved. And if they get an injury, um, I don't know what injury that Justify had, but it must have been something after the the Belmont that you could yeah. probably treat if it was a, a, a gelding or something mm-hmm. like that. But why, why break him down? You know, so just the fact that he's only had six starts doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that in another day he might have had a whole bunch of starts. And now it's pretty pretty common people realize that it takes a while for bone to remodel after a race and yep. uh they get a lot more miles out of them uh you know horses okay. like seabiscuit and stymie and whatnot um of course you know they raced on john henry everything like that but but they they uh watched the number of starts they had a fair amount but they're probably really exceptional horses and, and the, way the, market, the way the market yep. way the market goes you know, like with John Henry, I mean, who's mm-hmm. a gelding? What else are you going to do with them? And you know, run them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and and so I, I guess to your point, like a Peter Mill of the Conquest and I mean, he looked at the horse, said the, the horse is good. You know, um, let's you know, let's keep it going here because. And Peter's yeah. got a really good eye for him, and he spends yep. a lot of time at the barn, and he's got really good help there. But when you read about what Bruce Jacobs did with Stymie, mm-hmm. you know, they asked him, you know, how come had all these starts and you're doing well with him? He said, well. I'd rather race them than train them. But when you look back, he raced them every four or five days. You know, I guess it was not uncommon to train them the next day or, you know, the day before yeah. race. Well, so that, that begs a good question. It, it, and I, I understand, you know, the, the racing is hard on them, what you're saying, and the, and the bone takes time to reheal and everything. But it does make one wonder if more racing might have actually kind of hardened things as well. I, I, I don't know, you know. Um, well, probably the preparation, you know, getting up to a race. Yep. But, you know, as in human uh, uh, athletes, once they kind of get up, actually start competing, they don't need to get that big base on them as much. You know, okay. like, like yep. with a marathoner, um, you know, you, you don't want to do a marathon the first year you decide to run because <laughs> you really are going to break down. Yeah. Yep. You know, and probably one a year is enough. But yep. after a while, then, you know, you can do one every two or three okay. months because you get up to playing yep. level and the, the bone is remodeled. Uh, everything but that's one of the projects we're able to do at wsu on the hitchcock track was to actually show that horses did not lose the training effect as we worked these horses up oh okay yeah uh, the typical uh 60 days galloping then worked them every five days yep. and went up to five eighths a mile we took muscle biopsies and lactates and heart rate recoveries oh wow on yeah. all these horses and then we turned them out in a pasture for five weeks and we thought it was still nice in the fall. Yeah. We went back and did exactly the same test. I was a rider, so, you know, yeah. they got the same weight and everything. And the horses did better with five weeks out in the pasture afterwards. Okay. They just don't lose okay. that much effect. Okay. Horses are much better athletes than people are, or meant to yeah. be athletes. Yeah, yeah. And they don't need to be overtrained. And I think that's, okay. you know, I think that's one of the things that Bobby Frankel learned years ago. He'd claim these horses that, 
you know, were quitting down the lane for yeah. twelve five, and they give them treat the joints and whatnot, and worm okay. them, do their teeth, and just walk them for thirty days, run them back, and they'd open up for sixteen when they had to jump up. Yep. In price, they were just a lot happier, and okay. yeah, things okay. healed up, and you just, horses are getting their that were sour and pin their ears back as you walk down the shed row, or now got their heads over the webbing and knickering at you. Ready to go, yeah. So so I think part of what you're saying then is that, you know, for old timers like myself who are like, oh, why don't they run as often? Actually, in a lot of ways, you're going to get better performances consistently over time when they're given the proper rest. I suppose it's individual to each horse, right? I, I think it is probably individual. Yeah. And maybe, you know, you can run a horse uh, three times in a month and then, spell them a bit especially if they look like they didn't quite come out of their last race uh that well and yeah. if you're not kidding yourself by giving them butte after a race and say oh they're just fine the next day okay. but you know okay. those, yeah. those sorts of things good management and yeah. a lot of these stables have uh, veterinarians are really good horsemen and they work closely with the trainers and they all take a good look at them the morning after a race or the assistant um foreman trainer whatnot like watch these Barnes horse jog. Or, yeah. like a jimmy barnes yep. or pasquale okay. uh, actually at baffert's barn yep. pasquale gets mutton jogs and like that okay. too yeah all those people and same with caesar and and juan for john sadler people like that yeah so on the subject of bob baffert i, I asked this question to um hunsley albina who's a bloodstock agent right does and i asked joe steiner too actually and they both had interesting answers does Bob get the best horses now or is it that he can take an average horse and make them better or is it some combination of both? Well, I was interested in a comment that he had years ago after he was a quarter horse trainer and I think he'd mm-hmm. won the uh, Breeders' Cup with 30 slews, you know, mm-hmm. and they said, mm-hmm. you know, someone asked him, and of course he's very, has a quick reply. He's you know, yeah, yeah, he's very yeah. quick. Yeah. And he said it was his feeding program. And it's a feeding program. What's that? He said, I'm feeding better horses. <laughs> that's funny and there's a that's lot funny. to go with that yeah yeah you get those pedigrees and whatnot and then you know enough not not to mess them up that's the thing that keeps a lot of those horses going i assume then he like joe steiner mentioned that he'll be taking the horse out on the track to for a training run and and baffert will call an audible at the last minute and say you know no don't work him five work him four back off a little bit you know he's got those eyes then that you talked about yeah as he's well, got, right? got, that, got yeah. those eyes too yeah yeah, yeah. and then you know uh, dana barnes is you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they know the horses and Jimmy's out there every day with them. And yep. Pasquale seen them come back. And yeah, un, uncanny, but, you know, he knows how to, to get a horse ready for a really good race. Yeah, you know, when he he's got a, got a big engine in him. Yep. And yep. when you go down the shed road, a lot of the horses have the same conformation. I mean, there are a lot of just big square, look like they'd be steer roping horses, you know. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on the subject of Baffert and good horses and everything, people who know I'm into horse racing like around Kentucky Derby time, they always want to ask me now, like, you know, who do you like? And I always tell them, like, at least for the last five or six years, you got to include the California horses in this, you know, whatever plays you want to make. What is it about California and the trainers? Because it's not just Baffert, right? Doug O'Neill's one there. Art Sherman's one there. Yeah. What is it about California racing or training or the community that makes them such high-quality derby candidates? Well, I, it's a, probably a number of things. I mean, the pedigree and everything else. But, of course, yeah. you know, California Chrome didn't have that great a pedigree, you know, compared, right. To, right. compared to American Pharaoh or Justify. Yeah. But the uh, I think it's probably 
the the weather, what the consistency of being able to train on it, you know, without okay. having to yeah, yeah. train on a muddy track or worry right, about this right. and that. When are you going to train and everything? We we'll don't really have to work. Yeah, we yeah. don't really have to worry about that that yeah. as much. Okay, and you know, it, it, it's always interesting. I always wonder: is it just a notation or a you know attitude or whatever? But in California, when you look at the racing form reports, it's always they worked handily, so really hard. And Gulfstream, New York, etc. They breeze them. You never see an H workout, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, are they actually working them that much harder? Do you think on the West Coast than on the East Coast? I, I don't know. I mean, the tr- the track surface and the weight of the rider and with the exercise rider, if they're in company or not. I mean, it it varies so much. I don't know how you could can actually say other than yeah. take blood gases or lactates on them and mm-hmm. heart rate recoveries which right. horse had the okay. hardest work or not you know it's a little hard to compare you know apples and oranges but it's a good point about the fact that you can have a more predictable training schedule like you always you know here in new york and, and even in florida about well they had to move the workout up because the rain was coming etc which of course begs the question why wouldn't you want to work the horse over a wet track just in case yeah. like it does rain on kentucky yeah. derby day right i mean uh, well that's right but they just want to take a chance on an injury although yeah. yeah how many more horses get injured on a Bat, sloppy track. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't. I think the statistics are in question on that. That I is, was going to say, it's, it's kind of con, kind of yeah. conventional wisdom. I don't think they're quite as bad as you might think that yeah. they are. But you're you yeah. may be taking a more risk. And of course, anytime you send a horse out to work, you have a chance of getting an injury. Yeah. And if you did that when the track was, you know, wet and sloppy, mm-hmm. you know, the owner's going to say, "Why'd you work him on that Why'd day?" You, you know, that day. sure, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. so you can't take yeah. a chance on yeah. losing. Okay. Because it's not uncommon for people to lose their whole stable horses over one little incident. Oh, that's a good point, right? Yeah, there's been even for a, a, a Baffert that like Kaleem Shah, right? Yeah. Took, his, took his horses away from him. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you, you, you were involved in inventing the surgery for Wobbler syndrome. Yes. Can you describe for the average person what Wobbler syndrome is, and then how did you come up with this? You know, what is the surgery that you came up with, and, and and how did you come up with it? Well, uh, a wobbler, a horse that's a wobbler, is actually wobb- has a wobbly gait, and they have a wobbly okay. gait because there's something wrong with their spinal cord. You know, there's some viruses that will affect the spinal cord. There's some protozoal agents that'll do the same thing, like EPM, equine protozoal myelitis. Anything that damages the spinal cord will make a horse not be able to know where their legs are or where to make them place because oh. they have all these nerve tracks okay. that are going from the brain down to the legs and yeah. take a longer stride put more pressure all those things okay uh, are going on yeah but wobbler syndrome and wobbler disease mm-hmm. uh, uh the true wobblers is some people it's a big garbage can diagnosis but okay. a true wobbler is a horse that has a compression of the spinal cord in the neck that's the most common thing that a person would see now if you might have a lot of epms or, or outbreak of herpes or something like that rhino that would make horse like that too but the, what i work with are horses that have compression on their spinal cord and uh the way that we got started on we we're actually at a uh, seminar in meeting down in las vegas okay because uh, we, we were yeah, meeting, yeah. yeah everybody has me there yeah, yeah. yeah of course yeah um and we were uh trying to, to get background on how to make uh, prosthetic joints for horses oh wow and yeah. um we went out to supper with dr george bagby who mm-hmm. who is um orthopedic surgeon from spokane his father his stepfather was a veterinarian he used to do rounds with him in minnesota and uh, George was a uh, 
Korean War MD, okay. like MASH, oh you know, wow, yeah. Yeah, sort of thing. And he wanted to end up doing surgeries, and he saw that something was wrong with the way they put in traction to make the bones heal. It didn't seem like a good idea to him. So uh, after he got out of the, the uh, Korean War, he, he was able to get a GI thing at mm-hmm. uh, Mayo, and he went to Mayo and wanted to get into surgery. And he could soon see that the only way he's really going to get to do something is if he worked on animals. Okay. So he came up, actually, he developed the compression plating system which is, on dogs, which puts pressure on the bone. And he, he discovered that by repairing a hinge on a uh, door oh, and in wow. World War II housing that he and his wife had to stay in. And he realized if he put the screw real close to the to the side of the hinge, put it in, the chamfer, the angle on the head of the screw will make the, the board move. Oh, wow. Okay. So he came up with that idea. That's He wanted to do more uh, research down mm-hmm. at uh, WSU. At the time, mm-hmm. WSU did not have a medical school. They just uh, had a veterinary school. And uh, George felt that there was something to be had well, working with the physicians up in Spokane and the veterinary school. So we started to get together on that. And um, I, I knew that the horse had the problem with their fetlocks and, and mm-hmm. knees that mm-hmm. maybe putting an artificial joint surface in there would help a lot. So that's why we went on this meeting. But like at all meetings, you go for supper, right? Yeah, so sure, between yeah. that, went to the Frontier Lounge, which is destroyed now. But it was right between Larry Storch and I remember F Troop. Oh, no, no, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And Bobby Gentry. You know, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, by that time, we had this exchange program. We were sort of mm-hmm. talking about things. And George said, you, "Have you ever seen me do a cloward?" And I said, "No, what's a cloward?" And it was named after Ralph Cloward, physician. And he came up with a way to fuse a joint in uh, a person mm-hmm. is to actually drill a slightly bigger hole between the two joint surfaces, and then you tap a dowel in. Just like you build in yeah, a house yeah, one yeah, out, that's sure. a little larger size. Yeah. And when you do that, it shoves the bones apart, but the muscles and the ligament strength then put tension right. on, on okay. that and it get a fusion oh, if you have right. that instrument. And I said, you know, George, we got a condition in horses that that might help. So yeah. typical with George, uh, one week later, we did our first horse. And he was by uh, Bounce Power, the, the colt, who was a full brother to Bull Bitter, actually. And uh, But he... he um, he had a bad recovery because George thought for sure, just like in people that need to have a brace on their neck. Okay. So this colt flopped around trying to get up with his neck extended. Oh. And I said, George, we've got to take that thing take off because so they've got a good, their head around them, but yeah. that's the way horses have to get up. So yeah. we did that and he stood up. Okay. But he ended up getting an aspiration pneumonia, probably because we didn't flush his mouth out well enough for the okay. surgery. So we had to put him to sleep. But at the time of surgery, even though he had this rough recovery and everybody was saying, oh, that bone dial won't last in there, it was in there so solid. Okay. And that's yeah. how we figured it. doing that surgery, the, the technique might help these horses. Yeah. So we got a lot, and there was some vanning services, uh, Bill Egbert um, van service, the, the no longer business, but uh, Clarence Belvoir was an uh, old... Sure. Long Acres guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. You know, yeah. And uh, they... They hauled for Pam Wagner was uh, the resident, and um, we, I mean, we got 70-some horses, because they were just killing wobblers, you know. Oh, my gosh. They wouldn't do anything with yeah. them. But this way, people, you know, most horse people, if you could do something with them, they'll give them to you. Yeah. They don't yeah. really want to kill them. Yeah, you know, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. They may not want to put training money into them, but if it's going to yeah, be, it's, it's, be a, a deep that's a big difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we, we end up doing uh, all these horses that way. But the the implant that we use now that we named the Seattle Slough implant right. because uh, 
the tailors are really gracious about letting us name it after SLU because mm. that's what we put in the SLU. It is a metal uh, implant, and it was initially the Bagby basket. It has a bunch of holes pounded in there, and we got that because uh, a uh, pre-dent student, dental student, came up to Pam and said, I'd like to work on this project uh, where we're putting implants into people's jaws and then screwing a tooth in afterwards. Yep. Yeah. And, and we did that with with the horses, and we put oh, them to sleep. Okay. These implants were solid. And we told George about it, and, and uh, George yeah, well, if we made them hollow, and then mm-hmm. we could pack bone in, it would fuse much better. So yeah. that, he came up with that. And then yeah. um, WSU got the patent on uh, animals, mm-hmm. and George got the patent on humans. I was going to ask, a human can have... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, lots of... So, well, like Ralph Clobbard, the surgeon from Hawaii that started doing that mm-hmm. procedure. And so... George gave this paper at a meeting in Banff, and Steve Klusher, who's from Rochester, uh, where Mayo was, he was there, and he said, George, that's a great idea, but what if you put threads around that basket rather than hammer it in? So they started threading it in, and so it's called the BAK, Bagby Kusler okay. implant. Yep. So there's two or 300,000 people have oh my. had that technique. Wow. You know, so, but uh, George sold the patent to uh, um, a company, mm-hmm. and he gave... Uh, Quarter of a million dollars to WSU and three quarters of a million dollars to oh, man. Great. UBC and yeah. built a five million dollar hospital over in Bangladesh. Wow, so very, we, very good that way. And then then we started with the, putting the threads around for and Seattle Slough was one of the first that had the threads around because when you pound the Bagby basket into an older horse, the bones kind of brittle. So if they have a rough recovery okay. and yep. hit their head in the wall waking up then it could shatter, just like, you know, okay. trying to drill a hole in an old piece of board. Yeah, yeah, okay. Shatter. By putting the threads in, it mm-hmm. was much better. Okay. And so that's what we do these days. Wow. And so, um, we've changed yeah. the technique a little bit. We've got bigger threads on them, and, and uh, we've actually put, um, use that approach. You can see where the spinal cord is uh, through the disc, and mm-hmm. you can put a needle right into the spinal cord, put stem cells in there right at the time of surgery. And so they and then grow the bone around it. Well, uh, no, they grow the bone around the implant, but putting stem cells right in the spinal cord is supposed to help the spinal cord heal all the tracks oh, at the gosh. time, rather oh than just yeah. you know put them in the bloodstream or put them in yeah. the spinal fluid where they can't even wow. get into the spinal cord. So, so is the surgery more commonly performed on racing horses or on retired horses? That it's are maybe uh, or not? it's it's prob- depends where you are. Okay, um, all right. Like right now, we probably do. Uh, two show horses for one racehorse. Right. And I don't know Steve yeah. Reed and Brett Woody at Rudin Middle do uh, the most other numbers. And they may, they probably do more racehorses because they're right there. Right, in, right in, in Lexington, in sure. Yeah, yep. in Lexington yep. area. Oh, man. But, um, yeah, there's a lot a lot of ho- different horses will have it. And the warm bloods, if you're in a warm blood country or whatnot, you'll get a lot of warm bloods that have it. Okay. So we went from... Vegas, Larry Storch to let's try this to a dental student. To, yeah, yeah, it's been a, been a very, really yeah, interesting yeah, progression. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, and if you say, some of your listeners want to get more of the details, if they read a book uh, called Stud by Kevin Conley, who's a writer for New Yorker yeah. magazine, it's got a couple chapters in there. Saving Seattle Slough. Okay. It's, oh, uh, right. Yeah, okay. it's quite on the. Progression of it. Uh, Slew was in his breeding career when you performed. He was 26 right? at the time. Oh, he was 20. Oh, wow. So yeah. he was. He was actually almost to the end of it because was he was. Say, there, right? he, yeah. he was not selling mares. Yeah. But the tailors, Mickey and Karen, are really, you know, they love the horses. And but 
they're um, both of them can think ahead of the, out of the box. Mm, yeah. And so Mickey called me up and said, "So he's not settling the mares down. He's having trouble leaning against the ball and oh everything." My gosh. Wow. wow. And he said, "So if we're going to do the surgery at the end of the breeding season, you know," I said. Mickey, it's March, but isn't this the end of the breeding season if he's not selling his mares? You know, so we went ahead and got the surgery done on April 2nd. And that, well, I said, that way you'll get more time for him to come back. To heal, too. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then yep. by the, the yeah. next December, you know, he, he um, um, bred mares and they collected them and everything and showed his sperm count was back up and everything. Because he had problems with his sperm count. Oh, man. All well, you know, the nerves are yeah, going, going back through. there and yeah, going yeah. down to the yeah. testes oh, and everything gosh. else. Wow. If you've ever been kicked in the crotch, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, in, you know, actual racing now, you've had a couple of different veterinarian jobs, you know, at the track right? yep. as a, as a yes. chase vet and then as a... Yeah, I was the uh, chase veterinarian or the associate veterinarian mm-hmm. and and the official veterinarian. The two the differences are, in, at least in California, yep. the associate veterinarian is hired by the racetrack, Del Mar or Santa Anita or okay. whatever, yep. and the official veterinarian is hired by the state. But in the morning, we do the same job, and that okay. is we have to inspect all the horses that are going to race then. So we split them up, get the cards on them, but now it's on a computer, yep. not a tablet, with yep. okay. past medical history is, and we go yep. find the horses in the barn and get them out and identify them, which will be a little easier now that the chips are coming in. Oh, wow, okay. Now you don't have to open the up the mouth yeah. anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Some horses don't like that. Don't so like much. that, yeah. I would imagine, yeah. And we uh, do a... Yeah, a pretty good physical exam on them actually, okay. and go over yeah. their legs, and then watch them jog. And we don't like them, make them jog again. And you know, if we don't like them, then and start scratching. So the eighty-four yeah. horses that are into that day, forty-two and forty-two, Two, and yeah. Or if there's a hundred and twenty-eight at Del Mar on yeah. the Pacific Classic day, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a long morning. Then it's a long uh, morning. You got to be done by eleven. Okay. Yeah. You know, and see what's going on there. But in the afternoon, the. Uh, Association veterinarian monitors the horses in the paddock as okay. they're getting sold, uh, saddled yep. and walking walk to make sure they're not flipping over backwards and yep. getting a, a wreck or something like that. You know, some horses buck and kick and they're running, sure. you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, some horses don't like to get saddled because they know that when they get saddled, then all of a sudden they're going to go to the starting gate right. and that's going to hurt right. again. You right. know? Then we watch them go into the track, and then we always stand uh, as they're scoring down in the post parade. Okay. We watch them trot because yep. being an old standard right? veterinarian, warm them up a little you know, bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. uh, lame trotters run and lame pacers run, mm-hmm. and you know it's better to watch them at a trot. And if yeah. a horse won't trot, then you're kind of suspicious. And then if you don't like the way the horse is going, we'll have the outrider uh, get the seven horse over behind the gate so we can watch them. Okay. Go. Okay. And if we don't like them, then we take the rider off and everything. So there's it's a hard. lot going on that the public really doesn't they see. They don't really see or a understand. lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, then, and then we follow them back around the track and we yeah. watch them and, you know, the riders give us the nod that they don't really like because, you know, having ridden horses myself a lot, you can feel more than you can see. And the riders, you know, blessed to work in California are really good quality horsemen. And yep. they don't just try to tough it through. It's yeah. like, I don't like this horse, Doc. <laughs> well, the rider doesn't want to endanger him or herself either, yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But, you know, they're independent contractors. Right, and, uh, right. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of egos involved in yep. horse racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what makes it, right? Yep. Yeah. And um, makes so, every sport, I guess, yeah, right? and, yeah. you know, if you get off a horse, the trainer takes it as an insult that, 
Right, right, yeah. Ride that rider back. So the veterinarians, we take the, we take, it's, it's our decision. Okay, okay. It's our decision. And then we follow them around yep. in the chase car afterwards. And if, uh, okay, yeah. You know, heaven forbid something happens to them, we're right there to administer care, make decisions. And I mean, we, we get there within 10 seconds or something. You, I, I get there sooner on cheap horses because the I can keep up with the cheap horses <laughs> and the chase wow. vehicle. Sure. Well, we're going fast, forty-five yeah. miles an hour, and you can't catch up to them. Oh wow, wow, wow! So, I mean, I've, as someone who's played the horses for a number of years, I mean, I can count probably on one hand the number of times when I've been in the, you know, at the paddock, I've seen a horse, and I probably like the horse anyway. But you know, there's some aura about the horse, like. That horse is the winner today. Yeah, right? I mean, mm-hmm. just you know, I'll, I'll, years ago, didn't, not that many years ago, there was a horse um, making his second start on opening day at Saratoga. Her second start, opening day in Saratoga. The horse's name was Off the Tracks. Came up from Gulfstream, and I liked the horse's performance. I liked the workout since then. I was going to bet the horse anyway, but when she came down, you know, crossed Union Ave and came down the, the path to the paddock. She, I, she was breathing fire that day, and, mm. and she was like a head taller than any of the other horses. Yeah, and they just blow up, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, this horse, just go to the windows. And, I'm, and sure enough, she wins at 820. Yeah. But th- th- that's, I mean, I can count that one time, right, yeah. that, that, that happened. What should the average person be looking for, good and bad, when they see the horses come over into the paddock? Uh, what are the tells, I guess? Uh, of course, it's class of racing makes a difference. I mean, you know, yeah. but... Generally, horses that want to win are happy horses, mm-hmm. and so happy horses eat well. Okay, they don't have ulcers and things like that, and they don't yep. eat because they got a sore joint or whatever. So they, when they eat well, they tend to be dappled, so they have good flesh on them. Okay, and they have that nice dappled show horse look to them. Yeah, nice sheen to them. Yeah, they're kind of shiny. Yeah, man, the right? yeah, tails yeah. up a little bit, and they tend to walk sprightly and whatnot now the ones that are excessively nervous and sweating and whatnot mm-hmm. they have an apprehension yeah now there are some horses like seattle slew was noticeable for he'd always you know get sweaty before yeah. a race shackleford did I yeah think, as you know, well, right? yeah. so you got to yeah. know what the horse did yeah. the last time okay. too you know is this good or bad for that mm-hmm. horse i mean maybe if he'd come in there and just walked around it's like gee yeah <laughs> did he get uh, tranquilized or something you know <laughs> yeah. back in the old days yeah you, you worry about them not being that way but yeah just seeing how how they're going around makes a big difference i mean class horses the crowds don't upset them you know yeah you know they just got they have a presence about them they do yeah happy eye and everything like that but when yeah. they're all nervous and freddy and don't like getting saddled or putting mm-hmm. the tongue tug on and this and that. And what about the horses that you see? And I, I'm always like a like a, with two year olds. I say that, and I'm just thinking of Saratoga again. They're coming over on the walking path, and they have their heads down, and they're. I I, I don't know. I have no idea whether those horses win or not. Is that is is the head down a negative sign or is it? Well, I don't I don't think I don't think it'd be a negative sign walking over, especially if it's the first start for the okay. horse because they don't know what's going to happen. The second start. It's always interesting. The second start is always interesting. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, how, yeah, how they come along, you yeah. know, uh, did they catch on or was it a good experience or not? They can't, yeah. they can't wait. Yep. Yeah. You know, or they don't want any more part of that gate going off. Well, I was going to say, you really see it at the gate, the second start, right? If it was a bad experience, the horse 
does not want to go in there again, yeah, right? right? Last time I did this, this was not good. And they remember. Yeah, yeah. People think that they're not that smart, but the, yeah, they're yeah, a lot no, smarter no, they, than you think. Yeah. <laughs> actually, that's funny you mentioned that. They don't things, bet on people. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things I actually picked up on very early in my career was like the second time start or when it went bad the first time, they're not happy to be in there uh, yeah. again, right? Um, but so at the gate, it, this is an interesting one to me. There's a lot of talk lately. People are, you know, if the horse breaks through the gate, he or she should automatically be scratched, right? Um, but you would, I imagine you, you are doing a thorough inspection. If they break through, how hard did they, did they really pop through it and yeah. take off? After they catch them right away. Yeah. You know, the, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it's an individual decision. Yeah. I mean, there's... No set rules other than if they well, they rear up in the gate, right? And they go past a vertical, or yeah. they bang their head. Then those are, and they go down on their haunches. Then those are automatic scratches. Automatic. Okay, yeah. yeah. And you want to make sure that if when you're there, the veterinarian behind the gate, that you know you're trying to look at all the stalls mm -hmm. to yeah. see that. Yep. Because uh, sometimes the gate crew wants to get the race going again, but you need to be able to pull a whistle because it, it is a disruption. You've got to back all the horses out right. and make it. Right. Make a decision like that, but it's only a couple minutes. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, they just sort of break through the gate and whatnot. They're just anxious and they often do well. Of course, if they run off or they got blood coming out of their nostrils or if they got a, you've got blinkers on, you've got to take, look underneath there, make sure they didn't smash your skull oh, or something. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 All yeah. those things. Yeah. Because it takes some force to pop that gate. Yeah. Right? It, I mean, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. A lot of trainers, though, when they do something like that, they, they would rather you scratch them. And we always try to err on the side of give yep. them a chance because they'll, they'll come back to race another time if you scratch yeah. them. You know, that's the thing. We are talking about claiming <clears throat> horses earlier. And um, in California, it seems like in particular, there's been a lot more attention to voiding claims after a race. And I think just on Sunday, there were three claims that were voided all out of the same race. What What... That seems like a big change to me over the last couple of years. Uh, what accounted for that? And, and, and I guess more important, or equally as importantly, what is it that you're looking for after the race, after the claim that you see that says, well, wait a second, this one needs to be avoided? This may be one of the biggest things that the California Horse Racing Board's done at uh, Dr. Rick Arthur's suggestion mm -hmm. is getting this claiming uh, rule started because yeah. it's cut down on fatalities by 25%. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. And when horses used to be claimed, they came over to the receiving barn afterwards with their red tag on, and you'd switch halters yep. with them, and, and they wouldn't it. get tested, and that was it. Oh, wow. Okay. But now, yep. they come over to the receiving barn, and they get tested just like they'd won okay. the race. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, we know whether they're on medications or yeah. anything like that. Okay. And then, we jog, we do the same exam on them as we did before the race. Okay. All right. So, now, if they're lame yep. after... The claim's voided. Okay. All right. And okay. um, it helps protect a lot. And, and rather than the old days or three or four years ago, yep. people would put a horse in and, and challenge people to take, right, take them. Right. But now if they take a chance on avoiding that the claim gets voided, then they have to wait at least two weeks and they have to okay. work They have to work again five-eighths of a mile. Okay. So now you're blowing another start. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, okay. And then you got to wait for another. If they get off, because yeah. they have to work five-eighths under, under 103, which is okay. pretty good work. Yeah. And they get tested again okay. for medications. They have to be the same as it was on race day. 
And um, interesting. if yeah, they yeah. flunked that, then they're off for 30 days. Okay. So it makes the, the horsemen be uh, a lot more prudent as to which horses they're going to enter. And they don't want to take a chance on yeah, entering so. a horse that's suspect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it keeps, keeps them a little bit more honest, I guess. Yeah, right? well, yeah. maybe they'll do something about if a horse is slightly off. And I mean, yeah. one thing to do for a horse that's slightly off is don't run them. <laughs> well, is that? Yeah, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. We, we don't let yeah. them train them the next day either. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, really? That's really interesting. To, to get more work. So I, I think it's been a really good thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's because, you know, as a better, you're always wondering what is, you know, the intent here. Um, is it that the horses had it and the trainer is like, you know, I'm done with this horse. Is it just, is it a natural class drop because they haven't been succeeding at that level? Now they're not at this level and maybe it's both, right? Um, yeah, well, it, it often is both. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but there comes a, a point where it becomes less gray and it's more black and white, like this horse should not be racing. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to try and ensure that they don't get yeah. to start again. <clears throat> you must develop some familiarity over time with the horses on the grounds too, so that you, you know, like when you're doing your morning inspection, if this is a, you know, can kind of consistent allowance runner, you've seen this horse before, and you, you, all right, this now this one looks different. There's something going on here, right? I, well, that's that's right, and that's why we used to have white cards that we had to fill out by hand each day, but now we have tablets. Okay, yep. And the tablets are uh, very well you, done. You making notes and so okay. touching, you know left front ankle you know oh, then you see wow. is it the okay. same or no all of a sudden no one ever noticed that the left front front ankle was enlarged or yeah. didn't like to be flexed okay and it's like this is not right okay or now the shin's sore you know and the colt's not jogging just right it's a two-year-old yeah. colt and you know i mean that's the time that let's get this thing x-rayed rather than run them right. but you're right and some horses go like if you've watched people line up for a marathon or something there's a lot of old guys in there that, that when you see them jog the first mile to you think how are they going to do 26 miles but that's the way they go and right, you give right. them the benefit of the doubt right yeah and that's yeah. one thing that the breeders cup company has done is they tend to have veterinarians from each part of the country who happened in oh, one from europe so who they, happened okay. to seen these horses before yeah yeah and so they'll give the benefit of the doubt to some older horse especially that may have had this ankle but that's the way it's always been yeah. and trust me yep. you know so yeah. you give them the rather than just coming in cold right 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 no no familiarity etc yeah 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 oh that's really interesting but it's it's a humbling business you know to do it right you think you're getting good at trying to predict which horses are going to do and which aren't and it keeps humbling you well we could all use humility right i mean well that's right you know it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, you know. especially in today's <laughs> genre what did i hear somebody's uh, there somebody's dad said to somebody when they were a young person like why don't you just run for president now while you still know everything right <laughs> in experience you you begin to realize yeah it's a question i've always had about you know sometimes like let's say there's a two-year-old race coming up right and there's 11 two-year-old starters all pretty you know look like it looks like a high quality two-year-old yeah race. main special weights delmar in the summer yeah yeah exactly and and all of a sudden you know the scratches are announced and and three horses are scratched and and sometimes you start thinking to yourself is it because the trainer knows who the winner is today and doesn't want to be in so my question is does the trainer ever like come up to you when you're doing these inspections and say, "Oh, doesn't doesn't feel right today or whatever," and uh, kind of put pressure on you to make a decision? Well, if 
I, I can't remember them doing that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I and can't. I can't remember them doing that. I mean, there may be some I things I, I don't. On their own too, right? I mean, well, main special weights and yeah. you got a full field and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. yeah. You can okay. get them scratched. You know, do it mm-hmm. enough ahead of time and everything. But yeah. yeah, when they just when the entries just come out and whatnot. But yeah. you know, six horse field main special weights at Delmar. I mean, everybody in there is wants to win yeah why not right right get in there you yeah, know especially yeah. at delmar in the summer i mean people and they want to get with an unblemished record too yeah. you know yeah but that's yeah. that's part of it but yeah they don't always know i mean american Farrell got beat for first time he didn't run a very good race the first time out no it's more that the trainers around to make sure you don't scratch the horse okay. yeah they're the okay. presence right. around yeah. fair enough yeah. okay i and i hate to bring up maybe a bad memory but you were a, a witness to the San Luis Ray fire here. I actually was not a witness because my wife and I were, we had done a Walbus surgery back in Virginia and we were on our way home and Dr. Chuck Jenkins, who is a veterinarian at San Luis Ray, he had texted me a picture. So when we changed planes at Atlanta, I got this text, showed Devon, he had a picture of it. He said, uh, smoke east of your house. And that was at 1130 noon or something. And by the time we land here at uh, 450, our house was destroyed to the ground. <laughs> But we had the dog in the yeah. in a boarding kennel and stuff like that. So oh, wow. we feel fortunate. And yeah, um, I don't miss not being there. And you know, we, we live right above the racetrack, San okay. Luis Ray. And it, it would have been a tough day. It's a tough day for everybody. Chuck, oh, yeah. Chuck said it was the worst day of veterinary medicine he'd ever had. I can't imagine what it must have been like. Yeah, you know, horses, horses burning up and uh, yeah. running around with broken legs and dropping dead from heart attacks and oh, exhaustion. Gosh. Yeah. And I don't know how I would have felt of being up there trying to help Vaughn and the dog and getting a few wedding pictures sure, under the house, yeah. Yeah. knowing that I'm needed down at the track. And, you know, oh, trying you to make lost it all your pictures then, too, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Lost, yeah. yeah. You know, I remember a friend of mine from years ago when I was in college, and they had a house fire, and I asked him, and he said, you know what, Bill, the number one thing was the pictures. The yeah, home. yeah, the wedding pictures and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we got our... Uh, oh, my. my I had the tailors give me a... a uh, bronze of Seattle Slough. Okay. Yeah. And we found him there. He had a broken leg. And Cecile Bonnet is a uh, a sculpture uh, okay. from yep. uh, Fallbrook, just north of us. And she had actually done Charlie Woodham's uh, bronze there. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, no, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. And she used, to, she, yeah. she used to ride for Andrew Fallbrook and everything. She okay. used to good connection. Well, she redid it. Oh, yeah. wow. No kidding, really. Yeah. Oh, wow. So wow. we had them. I actually have it on a Remington. We had that same. Uh, was well, it was, yeah, yeah. It I was a fake. It, yeah, it was yeah. a fake Remington uh, that I oh, got. Yeah. But it's the just, same. Just, Remington. It's a Remington. You don't yeah. have to say fake. It was a. It was a Remington that the same one that you see behind the president in okay, the sure, yeah, white up well, with the, the, the bucking thing yeah, with the snake, yeah. the rattlesnake out there. Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Said, Is there anything we could put this on? And then Marlene Rantan at my classmates. Uh, Why said. You know, you've got that. You found that Remington base, so we've yeah. we got to put on there. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. So I got to ask you. Um, you and I came together today through uh, a gentleman you've known for a long time, who you like to call Hot Horse Willie. Hot Horse <laughs> Willie. <laughs> How did you meet? Hot Horse well, he Willie? was a veterinary student when I went back from Davis um, back up to uh, WSU. Okay. And he loved, and he was always, you know, back in those days, it's all payphone telephone calls <laughs> you know okay, yeah, there was yeah, yeah. a computer to follow yep. the races but yeah. we have have this love of racing and, and everything and he's and uh he always had a hot horse going and he'd he'd play the horses for the yonkers raceway that's doing yeah. the standard birds and stuff and yeah i'm just not that much into it and of course i can't do anything 
be an official right, veterinarian. Being an official, so it doesn't right, really right. make that much difference to me anyways. Other yeah. than here, but we always try to exchange who we like, you know, both March in, in the sure, Derby yeah. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, who do yeah. you like and stuff yeah. like that. And get, oh, that's but great. I'm amazed he's, you know, have the whole card picked out and bent on horses at San Diego. You know, I, I took him to San Diego once and yeah. he had the card at Gulfstream or wherever they were. He had, <laughs> had all his bet on and all, you know. So he's a true, true degenerate, just, yeah, like, he's a, just like yours truly. Yeah, right? he's yeah, a yeah. true de- degenerate, yeah. <laughs> That's I think I, I saw Johnny Carson interview um, Walter Matthau once and he said, so how's your how's the, your gambling problem coming along? And uh, Walter Matthau said, it's getting better, much better. I only go to the track on the days that it's open. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I really enjoyed meeting with Dr. Grant. Very knowledgeable, very thoughtful, and as I think comes through in our discussion, a real gentleman. I learned a lot listening to Dr. Grant, and I hope you did too. And now we're going to move on to this week's Big Score story. The Big Score segment of our podcast is brought to you by your friends at Endeavor Farm on Old Frankfurt Pike in the heart of the bluegrass. Every Big Score has its roots down on the farm. Boarding, breeding, foaling, layup care, and sales prep are all services offered by Terry Nickel and his team at Endeavor. You can reach Terry at 859-509-7035 or email him at terry at endeavorfarmky.com. That's E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-F-A-R-M-K-Y.com. Thanks again to our friends at Endeavor Farm for sponsoring The Big Score. This week's Big Score story comes to us courtesy of John Engelhart. Many of you know John from his long tenure at River Downs, his televised stints on Cincinnati television covering highlight shows, and appearing as the regular guy. John also has a highly entertaining podcast called Winning Ponies, and his Winning Ponies site gives out recommended plays that have resulted in some big scores of their own. In this week's story, though, John tells us how his nearly $120 exact triumph, which he had 50 times, or doing the math quickly, for $6,000, in the 1985 Kentucky Derby turned into, well... We'll let John tell it. Well, I, I would say it, it comes to mind right away uh, because I never got to cash the tickets, even though they were winning ones, and I explained it. A horse by the name of Spendabuck got his start at River Downs in, in Cradle State. I, I believe that was the first state in Rome, at the Cradle State. So we got to know Dennis Diaz and the people associated with, with the horse, and so we, we kind of followed him then. You know, through his uh, three-year-old career, I mean, brilliant speed, and um, so go down to the Derby that year, and that way you're, you know, you can make a for me a large wager, hundred bucks, and came up with the exactly with Stefan's Odyssey, who uh, was a Woody Stevens trainee that they paid a pretty good price. So I think a two-dollar exact was about bucks, and uh, so I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm. Rich and uh, it was just great to, to see, you know, uh, Cam Gambolati, the trainer, that you know, mm-hmm. the guy that flew under the radar, and um, uh, you know, to, to have a personal sense to go in the backstretch and meet the people. We got to know the groom, and uh, when they were at River Downs, so uh, it, that was kind of cool to be invited. And then Dennis Diaz came back the next year and, and gave the trophy out in the cradle stakes. He turned out to be a, oh, wow. a real nice guy. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, that uh, bill was uh, in my, my biggest hit that I remember. And the reading said, well, why didn't you cash your tickets? Well, like an idiot, I stashed them away like they were a savings bond. And so I go down to Churchill over a year later or something, and they said, 
Oh, no, those tickets are only good for 12 months. Where hmm. in Ohio, you can have a ticket forever. Oh, and oh. and if you go there and run the serial number through, they'll pay you. Yeah, right, and, right. Uh, I've got some great, I've got some great same collector's tickets around here if anybody <laughs> wants one. <laughs> Oh wow, that's a tough. That's that. That may be the toughest beat I've heard yet, uh, especially on a winning ticket. Wow. I know, but you still go there with that sense of pride. Thanks, John. John is also going to be an upcoming interview guest on our podcast. He's a highly entertaining and very passionate about our sport. Regular guy. In our guest handicapping segment, you're going to hear from John Pinder. Last week. John told us about his big score story when, as a young man, his big score funded a much-needed trip to the grocery store. John finished 15th in this year's National Handicapping Championship, so I would imagine he was able to buy a lot more groceries with that score. He joins us this week to handicap the Rebel Stakes, a race or two, actually now, with everything that's been going on at Santa Anita, that has taken on a lot more importance due to the cancellation of the San Felipe at Santa Anita. So, John, in terms of guest handicapping, my selection of Teak Finn Flu in the Gotham last week actually took food off the table for our listeners. I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> you can give us a selection or two which we can all dine out on. Let's do it, Mr. Dinkler. All right. So the first division is Race 8, right? And this is the division that features Improbable uh, for Baffert. Uh, Baffert's two horses that he shipped west after the cancellation of the San Felipe Ended up in two different divisions. What are you looking at in this uh, in in this eighth race at Oakland, John? Um, improbable looks looks really tough, but uh, if we're going to put any food on the table, let's try to beat the the three or five morning line favorite. I like your style, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he's a very strong horse, and definitely is is one you don't want to throw out. But I'm going to lean towards uh, number one, Extra Hope. Okay, for Papa Mandela. Yeah, Mandela and and Big Money Mike in the saddle. You can uh, you can never go wrong there. I think what, there's a he's he's had he he looks like a, a really good horse. His last race was was really good, and that was off of a, of a bit of a layoff. And the uh, the race before that in the in the Grade One, Osawa, uh, improbable beat him. He got really pushed out in the, the turn really wide. Uh, watching some replays there, I think if if okay. he wouldn't have had that bit of trouble, he would have sort of been uh, been a little bit closer to the to the action there. So extra hope is going to be the the one that I'll, I'll lean on and try and try and take down. That's her, yeah, yeah, and and I like your your read at that. First of all, looking at the replay, um, that to me, I, I, you know, we've talked about this many times on the podcast. The replays can just tell you so much more than the running line, but in this case, the running line does actually point out to your point forced four wide and obviously that was a very good field that uh you know he was up against too and probably was in there mucho gusto you know for a six horse field that was pretty pretty loaded and you gotta feel like that trouble cost him um second off the layoff from mandela you know the numbers are good and like you said money money mike uh <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with getting mike smith at six to one especially when the yeah three to five you know that's that's just hard to take uh, you know that that's that like you said that's not going to put money on the on the that's not going to put food on the table long term. John, the one that interested me was uh, Galilean the eight. You know he's a cow bred and you know but he's shown a lot of speed. I I don't know how much speed there is in this race. And of course I heard someone say this morning he doesn't know he's a cow bred. Nobody's told him he's a cow bred. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what do you think? I, I certainly feel like he's going to impact the race anyway, right? Definitely, definitely. He would be uh, he'd be my second choice to try and uh, be there with uh, 
with extra hope on the uh, to try and beat the the favorite. It looks like a very good horse. That's my only concern, Mr. Duncliffe, is that that he's got so much speed. Can he can he carry it for the mile and sixteenth yeah. here? Uh, against against some really good horses and improbable looks to be kind of of the same caliber of horse and uh, so I I'm not hoping but uh, anticipate that that those two would probably hook up in the front and allow extra hope to to come by in the in the closing strides and yeah down. well you know you, you, that's a good point John about the post positions they're both outside they both you know seem to line up be certainly towards the front end right so they're going to want to get over. Um, and it's it's just it's always fascinating to me how much post position impacts race strategy and race shape, right? So these speed horses have to get over, and someone like Extra Hope, actually, you know, to your point, with especially with a cagey rider like Mike Smith, he can save ground all the way around. He's not going to be too far off of it either. Um, in fact, you know, you go back, he's going to win at the mile and sixteenth distance kind of stalking the pace and you know he's going to get the shortest way around so I, I i like the way the post position seems to potentially impact the race strategy it's race shape but of course you you and i both know once they open the gates uh, all, all of our thinking goes out the window right <laughs> <laughs> for sure yeah and one of the, the great things i love about about handicapping is that as as you and i sit here and do this um you know the jockeys definitely you know take that into consideration as to as to part of of their plan and and what type of horse they have. So that just adds a another level of of uh, intricacies into into the game that we all love. <laughs> well, you know, you raise one of my favorite points, John, and that is sometimes I wish these jockeys would not read the racing form so much because you'll see a you'll see a race. Uh, this happens all the time, I think. A race that has like five speed horses in it, and I'm not saying it's one of these two, right? But has five speed horses in it, and then they they open the gates and they all take back, right? Because <laughs> they all read the racing form. They say, "Well, I'm not going to get caught in this suicidal speed duel." And then you know, one of them just walks around the track unchallenged. Um, but you know, of course, you you want the jockey to read the form and understand the horses too. But it, it is kind of funny that sometimes uh, you know they're looking at the race the same way we are, and it impacts what they do. So all right, so we're going to go with extra hope in the uh, the eighth race, the second. Division John is the of the Rebel. Uh, I guess we should call it the David Bowie Rebel Rebel, right? <laughs> <laughs> the second division is the tenth, and, and this one, uh, the Oakland Racing Secretary, I think, got a little confused. Steve Asmussen ended up with four horses in this one, and he was supposed to have them split three three. I don't, I don't know if you heard this, but I heard that he actually pointed out to the Racing Secretary, "I think you have it wrong." And the Racing Secretary said, "Well, it's too late." So he's got four in here, and and they all seem will seem to impact each other. Of course, this has game winner in it too, right? Breeders' Cup juvenile champion. So, what are you looking at here? Uh, again, you you want to try and and beat the the favorite. I think it's going to be a little tougher in the, in the second division. Uh, game winner seems to be the goods. I think he's he's the probable, most likely winner from my perspective. Uh, if I'm going to take a shot against him, uh, it'd be with the number seven, our brain trust. Ah, go ahead. What do you what do you like there? Always in in these races, when these triple crown uh, prep races, you're trying to figure out the where what's the trainer's true intent. Of course, everyone wants to run the first Saturday in May, but uh, how do they get there? Is this really going to be the race that um, you know Baffert has has his 
trio or however many he has this year, really, or is, or is he, again, waiting about a month to, to really tighten the screws? Um, with this horse, I like his progression. Seems to be continue to to, to 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 you know be going on with it and training very well. Um, his last race in the the Withers up at Aqueduct uh, was running really well. Uh, that was a very competitive race, and he got bumped in the lane a couple of times. Uh, he sure did. Jockey objection, and uh, I think if that wasn't there, he would have maybe he wouldn't have beat Tax, but uh, I definitely think he would have uh, would have passed not that Brady, but. Um, He's he's my pick. This this one's a, a little bit more competitive. Again, I, I think that uh, that game winner is, is the goods, but uh, but you can't leave any of these horses out. Uh, Omaha Beach is another one that uh, that looks super competitive. Uh, just broke his maiden, but but in doing so, I mean, you see very consistent. Um, the only question mark there again um, is that. What do they really want to do with this horse? Like you kind of mentioned before, they started them long on the turf, and mm. and, uh, and then had a couple of races there. And then last race was seven for a long time. I can't really figure out is he truly, you know, uh, is this truly what he wants to do, or yeah. have they figured out what he, what he wants to do? See, the other contender that I liked in here was the number two, Laughing Fox. Uh, one of those. Uh, parade of Asmussen horses <laughs> that, uh, that are going to be in here. Um, the, to, we talk about them. We think about uh, angles and, and training. And uh, I think with this horse being at Oaklawn, it's going to, um, you know, he's won there twice already. He's two for two there. And uh, I think that's always an advantage on home field and, uh, when you've seen a horse that, that likes a track. Yeah. yeah and Ricardo's been riding really well this year. So, those would be those are the ones that I think that would uh that's going to give Mr. Game Winner a, a run for his money, but I, I think ultimately he'll do it. But uh, Laughing Fox and and our Brain Trust would uh, should be in the mix as well. Well, um, you know, John, I, I uh, full disclosure in the Withers, I had bet not that Brady, okay, and I was you know imploring the stewards to not take them down and, 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 and they did not uh, i don't know if they heard me um and i didn't bet not that pretty just because i'm a patriots fan but because he seemed to be the controlling speed uh got a terrible trip not that brady did in that in that race but i will say when i watched the replay i i thought this horse is coming down um and i was surprised that they did not take him down and put our brain trust up at least you know for a second um and of course tax got a beautiful trip down on the rail so it's not uh inconceivable at all that our brain trust is the winner of that withers um and that was a very fast time on a on a demanding track i like the fact that uh, he's gotten a little bit more time off than some of the other horses that came out of that race um I, i'm with you too on on omaha beach i last week actually in the uh uh, the Gotham, Baffert's much better, was actually had a similar profile to this Omaha Beach. It's like they didn't know what to do with them, right? And and as good a trainers as uh, Baffert or Mandela are, I can concern when, are they a turf horse or are they a dirt horse? You know, what are they? And then, of course, he broke his, he broke his maiden in the slop, which always is concerning, right? Did he just like the slop or is he, he really good? Um 
And then the other, the other thing I would say, Laughing Fox caught my eye as well. You know, the two straight wins at Oakland, that's not to be discounted. Um, Santana is the, the, the main guy uh, for um, Asmussen. And uh, I think, actually, you know, you look at a horse like Jersey Agenda, he's probably going to be setting a pace out there, too, for, uh, you know, Laughing because Laughing Fox looks to, you know, want to have a pace to close into. So, um but I like I like your uh, I like the way you're going at this, John. Let's not uh, let's not try and uh, you know win with a three to five shot. Um, you know let's let's see if we can make some money here. So we got extra hope in the eighth race, the first division of the Rebel, and we got our brain trust in the second. Correct? Yes, sir. Well, John, listen, that's uh, fantastic. I really appreciate your contribution to the podcast. We'll um, we'll watch how things go. And uh, we'll report on the results next week. Sounds good. All right, John. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Can Do Horse Racing Podcast. Next week, jockey Tyler Bays is going to join us. Tyler's going to talk about his place in the voluminous Bays family tree, his life as a jockey, and we're going to do a deep dive on the famous Santa Anita Downhill Turf Course. I'm very excited about that interview. We'll also have guest handicapper Jamie Michelson join us to talk about the Louisiana Derby from the fairgrounds in NOLA, and we'll have another big score story for you. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend, and hopefully your plays are successful. May the horse be with you.